Welcome back to Nevertheless She Persistent, a podcast with Sadie Sutton. Today I'm here with one of my therapists from therapeutic boarding school, Emily. Mm-hmm. Say hi. hi. <laughs> so um, I worked with Emily for my first six months while I was at um, I was in Montana. Um and she was the one who kind of received me right after I was at Three East and kind of still a big like bundle of emotions and really uh-huh. just started to have relationships with my parents and yeah. kind of really all over the place. Yeah. Um so yeah, so we're gonna talk a little bit about what her perception was of how I changed my life for the positive and for the negative. We're going to talk about what work we did and what skills could be applied to for listeners. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. First question. What was your first impression and I guess perception of me when you first got my little case notes from 3 East and you first heard that I was going to be on your caseload. Um, and then you met me and I was like, can I please go on vacation? It's two weeks. Uh-huh. Man, and I, I guess there's two different layers. The one is the perception of you and the feel of you that I got on paper based on mm-hmm. what you had been through the last year quite frankly, it looked a little scary. I'm like, holy crap, like this girl, what am I getting myself into? Mm -hmm. Um, Because your level of distress and the, it was just so big. Like it was so big and so heavy and so deep. And like you, you were really hurting. And uh, so, so yeah, first impression on paper was like, wow, (laughs) this is a lot of pain. Yeah, and for context, when you received me, I had been doing multiple outpatient programs. I'd done individual therapies for two or three years, and multiple hospitalizations, did residential, and then now it's from therapy uh-huh. A lot of, in addition to all the psych testing and diagnoses, just mm-hmm. logistically, there was a lot of different things that have been yep. tried. And, yep. and then there but, wasn't just so. one psych testing. There were like a bunch of different slices. So like you had so uh-huh. many diagnoses and labels, and I'm just like, Whew, this might, then, yeah. yeah, this might yeah. be more than our typical student at our school. And man, yeah. like, I kind of understand why they gave it to me. Who has, you know, like, <laughs> handle that? But, uh, you know, so the second impression, though, was when I actually got to see you and meet you. And you alluded to this earlier, uh, which was you were just a big bundle of emotion like it was controlled chaos like you had clearly done so much work on all of that stuff that was captured on paper and like really really trying to be controlled in your presentation because I mean a lot of it was so new like you were finally not feeling suicidal and wanting to act on it every day and it was like great so what's next like I need to keep everything so controlled and so tight so that I stay on this path that's what it exactly and part of that was that anxious like okay when do I get home I need to get home I need to get home like (laughs) this is about me practicing can I see my parents like why isn't it the same thing as three like this works why are we facing this yeah definitely yeah, and it it was really challenging to get you to slow 
down and connect because that was Mm -hmm. so much of what you needed. Like I could see how desperately you just wanted that connection and that relationship and to be seen and loved and accepted for all of who you were (laughs) in that moment. And, um, you know, but in, in that first impression moment, it came across as a lot of like entitled, I deserve stuff of like, I need to go yeah. home. Like I've done all this work and I've earned it. Like, mm-hmm. like this is my plan. Like the you were bullying your outside environment and controlling that outside environment so yeah. that you could feel okay internally. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and I got to say, even with the first impression though, like you, it was clear just how lovable and sweet you were. Like, I was like, oh, this is going to be fun. Like, this is a kid who <laughs> has a level of insight and willingness and drive. And, um, you know, so I want to make sure to add that part too. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so that was your first impression. How did I change during, goodness, the year and like three months that I was how did I change in the year and um, about three months that I was in Montana? How did you not change, right? I mean, there's there's still like the core, the core you and your core personality didn't change. Like the, mm-hmm. the heart of you was the same, but I'd say every other aspect was transformed into something more functional um, and something that allowed you to feel joy. So that the way that you would try to control that external environment to control your internal chaos, like that flipped mm-hmm. in a, in a yeah. huge way. And like, instead of a finger pointing to the outside environment of like, uh, <laughs> just controlling or, or like this presentation of deserving, like you, you really let yourself crack into that internal truth of wait, Maybe, maybe my belief is I don't actually think I deserve love like, mm-hmm. <laughs> and all the work that you were able to do, do on that. So um, it, it's a really hard question to answer, like how you changed. I'd say it's, it's easier to say how you didn't change. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, I know one of the biggest things, like I, of course I did change a lot during that year, but it, it, it was over a year. It was overnight. And I know, a lot of what we both experienced is me feeling so much frustration about not feeling like anything is changing because they, I remember when I came in, they were like, the first six months will be the hardest, it'll be easier from there, and you'll only change the six months, your second six months. I was like, what? Like, wait, I could change the entire time. Like, why can't I do work out? Like, I'm fine. I was so confused about that concept. Um, but I remember feeling those that first bit of being able to completely accept that you're here and you're going to be doing this work and this is the way it's going to be and getting to know people and then being able to trust people and getting them to trust um, you and then eventually finally beginning your work. I just remember feeling so, so, so frustrated and overwhelmed and out of control that I wasn't seeing these benchmarks like I had seen before, like, okay, my suicidal ideation cells are five instead of an eight and my parents are telling me that they feel like they have more relationships than me than they did last week and it just felt so overwhelming and confusing and it was really hard just to week after week be like i don't know what's changing and i don't know how this is different um 
and looking back, like there, there definitely were changes because each week I was becoming, I was giving myself more to other people and opening up more and able to accept what was going on. Um, yeah. And I think in the so moment that was so difficult to see and it's hard to remember that change looks so different and it just takes time. Yeah. And a lot of what you're speaking to is how hard it is to, to measure to measure emotional stuff mm -hmm. and especially your first six months at, in Montana in, in at the school it's it's about building that trust and building those relationships and how how do you measure that mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, it's Definitely. really difficult and it it was so like that's where your work was is how how does Sadie connect in relationships how does Sadie co-regulate in her relationships and mm -hmm. just really allow herself to be seen when that's the scariest thing ever so yeah. I think that you're you're spot on with what I'm I see as well with your your treatment and your work like the last parts were kind of smooth sailing because once mm -hmm. you have those connections and those relationships uh you you didn't have to work for the insight you were already really um <laughs> once it was safe you yeah. could touch those emotions that were really scary for you because feeling mm -hmm. as as you know and i think you've shared with your listeners like that's kind of the root of so much of um what caused uh, a lot of the, the distress. Distress, yeah no i agree um, we also did a lot of work with like unpacking internally what was going on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness, from my experience, um, so things like my core belief of thinking I don't deserve to be loved, especially by my parents. We did so much work around that and how that showed up. Um, what else did we do? Um, like feeling like I will never be good enough. We did. I remember we did like that. I did that art piece of each part of me and we just sat and like kind of unpacked each part of me because I had this part where I saw myself intelligent and driven and creative and all these great adjectives. And then I had this part of me that was kind of the depression that I was sad, um, confused. And then there was the anxiety that wanted control and wanted to know the answers and then what was the other one yeah. i don't remember and yeah. then <laughs> yeah we just kind of unpacked how many different parts of me were competing and all showing up at the same time and it just got so much clarity around mm -hmm. why interactions were going the way they did for sure yeah there's there's a, a memory I have, and this wasn't like an assignment. This was during a, a family call that we had uh, where it, it just feels significant to me because it shows that once you, once you were connected, like once we were connected and you trusted mm -hmm. me to see you uh, and you trusted your parents as well to see you, we, we were able to, to unpack in like flow chart style on my whiteboard, like what yeah. happens for Sadie when she's, when she's met with a no, like that mm -hmm. internal thing that happens that causes you to push and kind of freak out. And, mm -hmm. you know, us being able to, you know, externalize that pattern and see it and then use that to explain to your, your parents to help them understand as well. Like it was still hard because there were so many layers in it and it, it mm -hmm. took a lot of effort to really communicate that to your parents. But mm -hmm. it also felt like a, a huge part of what, 
allowed your growth to happen, which was mm-hmm. first step, like connect in your relationships, trust those relationships so that mm-hmm. you can be seen. And then that support of helping you identify you, like what happens for you, like push that slow-mo button on your brain with like when you enter that place of distress so that mm-hmm. you can actually make different choice points. And then you could share it with the people that you needed to, like your parents who get to see that part of you more than anyone else. <laughs> yes, totally. This is kind of a little bit in a different direction, but what in your many years of working wilderness and in Montana, all that kind of stuff, what is your favorite piece of, I guess I've described as therapy wisdom that you have gained? Like whether it's like, I guess like more of a scale or if it's just uh like a concept like what's your what's like your most applicable favorite piece of knowledge hmm. that is a tough question i i mean i think there's there's maybe it's in the category of identity work but um that assignment you were talking about with the parts of self like i think that is such a an important piece to be navigating with teenagers, helping them understand the different qualities and characteristics and traits and things that make them a whole human and how to have all of those parts of self uh, work well together. You know, it's this Mm -hmm. metaphor of who's driving the bus. If the anxious part of us is driving the bus, uh, we're we're off to a a crazy ride. But if we can find a different whole, you know, capital S self to be driving and bring all those other parts, whether you love them or not, um, along, I, I really enjoy using using that level of work with with teenagers and and adults when i've worked with them and families is this um this approach of you know really accepting all of it um Mm -hmm. so i i don't think the biggest barrier is like for that before that acceptance like what do you think the biggest challenge is I think our culture and our society gives us a lot of messaging about what's okay and what's not as far as feeling um, and different negative emotions. You know, it's, it's really hard for people to tolerate negative emotions and really, it's just not normal in our culture and our society. So it becomes um, a rejected part of self uh, that mm, I think more and more we're learning we're unlearning <laughs> that mm-hmm. um, healthy individuals are learning how to do that differently. Um, so that's just one. There's probably lots of lots of yeah. reasons for that, but yeah, yeah. So we're not taught it. Like we're just it, definitely yeah, yeah. It's not a skill that is gained at any point. Like mm-hmm. yeah, very interesting. Uh, okay. um, I have a question for you that might be to your podcast listeners, you know, as someone who's just like, you've walked this really hard path and, you know, knowing our relationship. So some of what we intentionally did was 
you know, we worked together for those six whatever months directly. And it became really clear that there was something about our relationship, despite there being trust and, and a lot of um, solid relationship, mm-hmm. there was a quality of I became a gatekeeper for you. And it brought mm-hmm. just a lot of that, that anxious like why and push that didn't mm-hmm. allow you to have a pure connection and relationship. So we intentionally moved me out of that primary therapist role for you so that mm-hmm. I could be someone who could see you and know you and hold your history and mirror and reflect, but I no longer was making decisions with your treatment. Mm-hmm. And um, that was very intentional. And I'm curious, you know, just for, for you and, and in the spirit of sharing with your listeners, how, how that was or how you find you can now allow support like therapist support like it's it's really hard to admit hey i need help and it's also really hard to let yourself be seen and just connect with a therapist so i'm curious what what did you notice worked well for you or just how that process was for you cuz it was <laughs> it was a lot yeah um i think the biggest thing about having feeling I don't know, but feeling like you are making progress or that you have achieved something in therapy sessions. I feel like every single time I'll go into therapy, there's one, it's one little thing in the back of my mind that I feel a lot of guilt about, or I like just have questions or I'm like, can I do this? Even if it's a question. Um, and I see it now more of less of like, can I have this privilege? It's like, does it make sense to have this interaction with my parents? Or does it make sense to take this step with friends? So mm-hmm. it's like the uncertainty about that. There's always that one thing, or there's some like something I'm really sad about, something I'm really angry about. Um, and without doubt, if I don't bring that up, and if that's not what I focus on in a session, I'm going to feel like I'm not seen, I wasn't heard. Um, I'm sure whoever I'm like talking to would be like, something's like, like I don't feel like we, it seems superficial. Um, so I think bringing that biggest like insecurity or fear, whatever it is that's like going on that week to the table is the biggest thing. Like it's hard and comfortable, but that's like one of the biggest things for me. Um, as far as letting myself be seen, um, I don't know. I think it's so interesting because I think a lot of the same patterns that I experienced, especially if my mom came up with you, um where she can see we're similar in a lot of ways but also i am put in a position where i where i do need permission that becomes a pattern Mm -hmm. um so i think we got so much more out of our relationship and our discussions and we got a lot closer after than six months and we would just be able to be like hey like what's going on like this is an issue and there was nothing else like but also I need like this privilege or all this kind of thing. And that's something that I think I still lack with my mom, or we're not able to have that connection because the first important, the first relationship that's there is one of the gatekeeper. Um, mm-hmm. Because she is who I have to go to for privileges and permission. Um, so it's something I'm still trying to navigate and figure out. And I don't know if it'll be a situation where once I go to college, that will change or maybe I can learn to navigate it differently. But I think as far as allowing myself to get help, um, I think the hardest thing was 
well, like three years ago, initially being like, I'm really sad and I don't know what's going on. That was the hardest thing. Like I, I refused to talk to anyone. I didn't want to talk to anyone. I just didn't understand it. It was so much easier to be in denial. But after that, it was honestly downhill um, because everything else was smaller than that first step. So initially asking for help and letting someone see you, everything becomes easier for sure. Mm -hmm. part I guess I just want to say um on record too is our pain like the world is full of suffering you know maybe Mm -hmm. this is a little soapbox moment but like here's a bubble burster reality like the world Mm -hmm. is full of suffering like we can't avoid pain that's not the goal Um, it's about making making sense of it and making meaning of it and that's all for today's episode I hope you enjoyed it and Please be sure to follow follow the Nevertheless She Persisted Instagram at Nevertheless Podcast with SS, the Twitter at She Persisted underscore SS. Um, go ahead and leave a review on Apple Podcasts and share with your friends to get the word out. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.